0: Welcome to Discover Ag. I'm your host, Natalie Kavork,
1: And I'm Tara Dusen
0: And together, our mission is to highlight agriculture in a modern and exciting way
1: while giving our professional farming opinion on a mix of entertainment, facts, and trending news articles in the ag and food space.
0: We keep our fingers on the pulse so you don't have to.
1: Happy Thursday, everyone. We are so glad you are tuning into our episode today. Today's episode, I feel like we always say this, but it's such a good one. Um, it's kind of We have some different topics today. We're actually kicking off our Me is the Moment with something kind of from the world of sports. So it's kind of cool that there's some professional athletes supporting ag. And then we're going to be moving into our top three industry news pieces, uh, the things you need to know this week. And then we'll be wrapping up the episode with a Now You Know. It's kind of a a new name on um, one of our original segments. And so this one is going to be about the national monument um, getting its start as a dairy farm.
0: Yeah, really exciting stuff. Um, especially our industry news segments. First up, uh, I feel like you're chomping at the bit to get in this one. We have oat milk making headlines for the hypocrisy behind some of their company actions. So that's gonna be fun to give our two cents on. Yeah, this
1: one's been an, this one's an interesting one. It's, it's back in the news again, and so I'm kind of um, excited to talk about why, like, what's going on that this like keeps coming back up.
0: Our second one is all about food waste and how restaurants, farmers and food companies are turning to science to solve it, which I am excited to dive into because I feel like we talk a lot about food waste. And for as much as we love talking about food waste, we have never talked about food waste on the podcast, really. Like it's never had its own like article segment or like just no attention towards it.
1: Yeah, this one, I have a few things to say about it, though, because I'm nervous how people will feel about some of their strategies for combating food waste.
0: And then our third article, we'll dive into the FDA giving their nod to no-kill meat and kind of deep dive this alternative meat space a little bit.
1: Yeah, this one, that was a big one. It's the first time that, you know, we're really getting some FDA approval on this. So we'll be talking all things no-kill meat.
0: But before we dive into all that good stuff um, and highlight our meat is the moment, we want to remind you guys that every single month we host a giveaway to say thank you for listening to the Discover podcast. We love growing this Discover community. So if you enjoy our content and look forward to tuning in every week, we would love it if you would share Discover to your social channels or leave us a review in whatever app it is you're tuning into us on. So um, please do that, you guys. Now, pause the episode, go do it, and then come immediately back. (laughs) all right at first let's do our
1: meet is the moment uh this one like we said is coming to you from the world of sports uh it is the uh, my cleat my cause my cleats campaign is going on um, in the nfl right now and what that is is different sports players or football players get to get customized cleats, I guess is the best way to describe it, that support a cause. And it's basically to raise money for different causes. So we have a couple of our athletes who are actually supporting ag. And the first one is Marcus Bailey. And he is with the Cincinnati Bengals. And he is supporting the Global Food Justice Alliance. And if you don't know, that was founded, that organization, the Global Food Justice Alliance, was founded by Sustainable Dish. So one of our good friends and advocates of animal ag. And then the other one, I don't even think I've told you this one, Natalie, but I wanted to add it is that, um, some of the Tennessee Titans, one of the Tennessee Titans is doing, um, what one, uh, Amani hooker. He is supporting the dairy Alliance and his is fuel up to play 60. So drink some milk before playing. So there's a couple guys out there.
0: So Marcus, um, but like you said, part of this, they get cleats um, and they wear these customized cleats that, you know, kind of give a shout out to their cause. And Marcus Bailey's are pretty cool. They have like a huge cow on them. It's grass, blue skies. I don't know. It's pretty cool. I wish I could have like seen him running out on the field in them. Um, he originally I had listened to a podcast with Diana and she had talked about how he had seen her in the news or I don't know something like that and like reached out to him and was like I so, I want to get involved with your mission so badly I really like believe what you're supporting in and he put out a post on his Instagram page talking about you know why he chose to support them because of the food insecure populations you know while this also advocating for high quality food products so it was really cool to see I don't know just a, like you, we said in the intro really cool to see a professional athlete like stand so strongly behind I'm curious because I didn't have time to look up to see if either of them are tied to agriculture. Do you know if the Tennessee Titans player, like from a dairy, like why he chose or?
1: I did not see any like connections to ag. I kind of looked at that too. I mean, maybe I missed it, but I'm not seeing anything. Huh. So kind of interesting that they would, I don't know, choose that. Like Tennessee too, isn't like known for tons of dairy. So I, it was just, yeah. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention, this campaign runs all the way through December. Mm-hmm. And so for the Global Food Justice Alliance, every dollar that's donated to the Global Food Justice Alliance will purchase a like meat stick at cost for food insecure children in the Cincinnati area. And
0: Marcus Bailey is actually donating money himself to that as well. Yep. So we'll share that in our Discover Ag um... Um, Instagram stories. Do you know, is the Tennessee Titan one still open or is there anything to donate for that?
1: I don't know if there's anything to donate. They didn't give nearly as much information as the Marcus Bailey one did. So I like, sorry. I like that
0: you're bringing a little mystery to the podcast. For
1: <laughs> I know this article, I like looked for a few different ones and there was not whoever did the PR on Marcus's did yeah. a much better job of getting articles out there. Well, and he did it himself. Like you said, yeah. he posted on his Instagram. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah, it was really cool. He has a, we'll share again, we'll share it. He shows the cleats and, um, yeah, he did a big post on it, which he doesn't have a ton of he has 18.2 thousand followers so it's not a ton like from the social platform that's also not knowing what other platforms he's on um yeah. but obviously just wearing them in the game um and bringing attention to them is enough but yeah i thought it was really cool so good job good job guys
1: all right so let's dive into our top three industry news pieces of what you need to know first up drum roll <laughs> Oatly milk. Oh gosh.
0: I think we should maybe <laughs> insert a professional drum roll if you're going to do that again. <laughs>
1: Um, Oatly milk. So here's the headline. Oat milk producers accused of his- hypocrisy over selling byproducts as animal feed. So Oatly milk is obviously a vegan drink. It is heavily promoted in like the pant- plant-based vegan world, like even more so than almonds. Like they're very like diehard vegan following. And people recently found out that they are selling their byproducts like their – pulp their oat pulp to animal agriculture and feed that's being fed to cattle or sheep or uh, sorry hogs cattle or hogs and the vegan people the vegan supporters of Oatly are in an uproar about that
0: so are they in an uproar because like you said this is kind of the second time it's making its you know I don't know wave through the news yeah. Um. I pulled up an article back from 2018 that is kind of the same thing that they were accused of this, but Oatly announced that they will they were going to stop doing it. So is it making its round again because they were they continued to do it even yeah. though they went out publicly and said
1: they came you. out publicly and said we're going to try to figure out something else. Like this mm-hmm. was just even a couple of months ago that they came out saying that, and I I they have not like changed their tune. So I think they're just kind of being called. Out on it a little bit. It's and it's a lot of like product. Like there is um it's a lot of pulp that's being fed. It's like it says 29 million liters of oat pulp um from their waste streams is going to farmers. And so, they have factories in Sweden, the Netherlands, Asia, and the United States.
0: So I actually love this trending in the news right now because some of the statements I pulled out was um so originally Oatle defended their decision by saying that, you know, their actions of giving the byproducts to animals eliminates the unnecessary waste of nutrients um and at the same time contribute to their production of biogas. So they're like at the beginning they were saying, like, listen, this is the best thing we can do with this, you know, is feed it to animals, which again just highlights how important agriculture is, how big of the circle is, like the loop from like you know, it's like a closed loop system if you do it properly, right? Like we should be able to grow, harvest, sow, you know, replenish, like it's it's this nice working circle. Then what I love even more is there was a statement where they, uh, the company Oatly said, the study and analysis of what to do with the residues from the production of our oat drink is one of the most complex and perplexing issues the company has faced. And I'm like, That's because you're not feeding it to animals, like just feed it to animals. And then it's not even confusing. Like you're making an, like you're making a mountain out of a molehill. You're making, you know, this like looking for the, the answer when the answer is right in front of you. It's hilarious to me.
1: Well, and that's why I'm like, I mean, I know why they're trying to do this. They're literally losing people drinking it because their slogan is, wow, no cow. Except for they yeah. do need cows to handle their waste stream. Mm-hmm. And it's like this goes, though, to the hypocrisy of being vegan, I almost think, is that like our food system, it, like Dr. Holder said it so well, the byproducts cattle consume, if they weren't being fed to cattle, if they were ending up in compost, it increases the um, greenhouse gas emissions by five times. And if they go in a landfill, it's 49 times more greenhouse gas emissions. 48. No, it was 49. Oh, Okay. I just typed it out in a tweet so that's why I know. Oh, okay. Tweet, Look at me, tweet, now I'm tweeting.
0: Tweeting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um and so I don't I just like it that's why being vegan is not as simple as like greenhouse gas emissions mm-hmm. is because cattle are an important part of our entire food supply system, even the vegetables.
0: Well, and that's exactly what I was going to say. That's why also like you were saying, you just said that, you know, to not be vegan, the hypocrisy behind it. I highlights it so well because we need animals no matter what in the system? So, like, you just can't get around it. And there are no true products where, not at least in a sustainable fashion. And I feel like a lot of vegans also stand on the sustainability platform. And so, it's like, if you're going to, you can't be like, you can't pick and choose when it, you know, suits you. So, it's like, you can't be anti agriculture and then get mad at us for not being sustainable, but choose that yourself, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, apparently there's a small oat milk company in Amsterdam that makes peanut butter cookies with the leftovers. And so people are like, well, there, make peanut butter cookies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know. I think because that is like, I don't know. Also what no. we need is
0: more calories. Great.
1: Right. More peanut butter cookies. Um. I, I the the comments in it are just, they're a little funny because you should, I mean, people are very much in an uproar about this and it's like, yeah, you're in an uproar about something that cattle aren't going to solve for you.
0: Well, and that's one of my questions I was going to ask you is did Oatly, um, because I feel like a lot of our milks are also like, why don't they just hit the market of like people who can't tolerate milk, you know? Instead of like hitting the vegan veganism train. It's like, just be the alternative that like doesn't have to pass animal culture, animal agriculture, but is the alternative. that's like, oh, you don't tolerate dairy. Great. Here's a product that's not milk. Yeah. Like why, why?
1: Well, and I feel like oat milk had quite a bit going for it. Like apparently – I have not tasted it, but apparently it has a pretty good flavor. It doesn't have a terrible like uh, nutritional profile. And so, yeah, like you could have like stood on your own two feet there without being bashing animal ag and then been able to continue feeding your waste to cattle without Mm -hmm. this turning into an uproar. But like I said at the very beginning, I mean it is – they are one of like the diehard like we are vegan.
0: uh, Like alternative. I kind of want to – deep dive the owners now I wonder if the owners are like vegan or if they're just trying to fill that market gap do you know what I'm saying like if I
1: feel like they they probably aren't
0: if they were feeding their byproducts to animals
1: so they have some really big celebrity investors Oprah Winfrey is an investor Jay-Z is an investor Natalie Portman's an investor they raised more than 1.4 billion dollars by selling shares last year oh my gosh Mm -hmm. so very like
0: trendy Well, and sometimes I get frustrated because you think about all that money and like they talked about in one of the articles about all the funding they're getting to find an alternative route to do with the um, byproducts. And it's like, just take that money and make like animal agriculture better, like invest it into the sustainability portion of agriculture. Like there's so much Mm -hmm. money being invested into like other routes. And I'm like, if we just put that money towards agriculture, we'd probably like advance and solve a lot of our sustainability issues a lot quicker. I want imagine what one
1: point four billion dollars could do to help like world hunger you know right. or lo- lots of other things besides figuring out a problem that already has a solution
0: exactly so well,
1: all right okay. you've got our next one what's the next one we gotta know
0: yes, our second news piece um, to know this week is the fight to curb food waste increasingly turns to science so um Obviously there is a problem with food waste in America. We've shared a little bit about this before and we'll kind of get into some of the stats, but I do think there's some growing awareness around it. And so they're starting to put more dollars um, into solving it, which is really great. Um, they're doing, this article is kind of focusing on um, some of the different avenues they are looking into to combat food waste. Some of them are testing a spray on peels um, or chemically enhanced sachets that can slow the ripening process Um, Others are developing digital sensors that can tell more pricely than a label Um, when meat it is safe to consume. So basically, they were just highlighting all the different um, avenues we're looking into that is more scientific to fight food waste.
1: I think that my concern – I'm excited about this. Let me start by saying that the positives. I'm super excited about this. If food waste was a country, it would be the third highest greenhouse gas emitter behind – us and china so this is a massive like from a sustainability from just like a waste from calories so many things this is a massive problem we throw away almost one third of our food i've seen anywhere from one third to like as high as like 40 percent. so we mm-hmm. it's a ton of food um my thing that i worry about is like to as an example spray on peels or chemically enhanced like I just feel like we're like, I don't know, I I just I can just feel a whole slew of like new labels that says not chemically enhanced, not a spray on peel like our apples are spray on peel free. And that worries me. That is just going to turn into a whole new conversation about marketing and scare tactics and all the things in between
0: yeah see, and I know it's like not simple to solve. um in my mind, it is it's like just shop less, eat more, and waste less because I've actually uh, I think when we think of food waste, we initially think that maybe like restaurants and larger like operations are the culprit of most, but forty three percent of food waste comes from homes, like our personal individual shopping habits and consuming happens. 40, so forty-two percent in homes, 40% in the grocery stores, um, 16% at the farm level, and 2% at the manufacturer level. Um, so it is nice to see agriculture. Like, we're lower on – for once, we're, like, lower on the list, like, with no target on our back. Um, Wait.
1: So what is restaurants and, um, like, hotels and stuff? Where do they fall? They're 40%. The oh.
0: restaurants, grocery stores, food oh, service restaurants, companies, grocery stores. Yes. Okay. That's 40%. So it's gotcha. almost equal to, in, like, in homes. But I feel like – again, going back to, I think out of all the areas of like climate change and everything where they're like your individual habit could make the most effect for me comes down to food waste. Like I really think like you as an individual person can have a huge impact on food waste, like through our individual actions. And so going to like, you know, where this, this article was saying like the science portion of it, it's like, can we maybe just focus on like, I don't know, individual habits in the consumer home, which I know is hard to control, but it just... Like, I don't know, kind of in the last article, it's like, it just seems like we're looking for a really big, fancy solution when like a simple answer is kind of in front of us.
1: I agree. And I think like some things like one thing that for me is portion sizes at restaurants. Like I feel like I really mm-hmm. wish like oh, as a person who just you and I share a lot when we go out and coming and back st- from Vegas, I feel like even I'm like you and I we shared. We should, yeah. Yes. We shared a breakfast burrito in Vegas and we still did not finish our breakfast burrito. It was huge. And so I wish there was a way to be like, can I have a half order of things? Like I just every time I went to a restaurant, I wish there was a half order option. Because And I know that's not for everyone, but, like, there's a lot of people out there that just cannot finish a full-size portion of a restaurant. So I agree with you. I think think this is really exciting. I think there's a lot of technology in this, but I worry what the consumer will think of it when we're – we have so many things the consumer is already confused and unsure about and just, like, not willing to purchase. So spraying on, you know, protectors, I don't know. And so instead, maybe, like, research – into how we could better like curb it with ourselves.
0: Well, and the other thing, so uh, someone that was cited in the article was Yvette Cabrera, who, which is the director of food waste for the Natural Resources Defense Council. And she, I thought her quote was so good. She said, overall, as a society, we don't value food as it should be valued. Um, And so she went back to talking about how most food waste happens at the residential level. And so she said, what you said, lowering portion sizes, buying smaller quantities or improving the accuracy of, um, date labels could have a huge, more of an impact than technology. And so I thought it was nice to like, I don't know, I do think that's a huge issue for society is our food, like our value of food. Because like you said, I don't know, like when I think about in my head of like what we waste, I don't know if like it's because it molded before we got to, or you know it rotted? Like, I don't know if extending the shelf life is really the solution. I feel like it'll just be extended and then people will throw it away two weeks later after it's been extended for two weeks longer. Like, I feel like we just have, at least I know I do personally, like I'll, I'll stand up and take like the blame for this, but like I'll like, I just, I don't know. I like, guilty of not wanting to eat the whole meal or you know like it's not because i'm like oh i looked at the food label and then had to throw it away you know yes
1: well i feel like it kind of goes to like when you put leftovers in the tupperware and it's like i put leftovers in a tupperware being like i'm gonna eat these later and then you don't you know like it's kind of it's not because I, I know it's good it just doesn't always get eaten um another person that was quoted in here was from um UC Davis post-harvest technology center. And I just was like, gosh, UC Davis, like, can Mm -hmm. we give a shout out to them again? I know we do a lot on this podcast, but they are doing such cool things and like getting out there and really like sharing with people about it. So I was just, I, I don't know who they quoted exactly, but I just feel like we always are highlighting UC Davis people. And then the other stat that I wanted to say that this like really blew my mind is The food waste in the United States, how much food we throw away or is uneaten is worth $418 billion.
0: Yeah. Like, blows my mind. Each year, 108 billion pounds of food is wasted in the United States. This is from, oh, what's that company? The Feed, Feeding America, I think I pulled this from. Each year is 108 billion pounds of food is wasted in the United States, which equates to 130 billion meals. And like you said, more than $408 billion in food thrown away each year which uh, and you said this at the beginning but nearly 40% of all of our food in America is wasted. Um so yeah it's a little That's sickening. Sad. Yeah, it it's a little sickening. sickening. Um one thing I do want to highlight about food waste is like actually what food waste is because a lot of people again I know I'm guilty of this but I just think initially of like uneaten food that we throw out in home stores and restaurants but food waste can also be like crops left in the fields. Um, Mm -hmm. It can be problems during the manufacturing and transportation of food and then like food, not meeting standards for like color and appearance. And I feel like there's a lot again, obviously crops left in the field, like an agriculture component, like that's where we could kind of play a role. But I also think we should really like coming back to that last one, which is like the color appearance shape, like all of that around our food system. I do feel like we could probably do a lot where it's like, we can accept the carrots that look funky and, you know, maybe the apples that aren't all uniformly red or like, I mean, I don't, I guess I maybe we could bring an expert on that is kind of has more information around that. But I do think we have pretty high like appearance standards yeah. um, when it doesn't affect like the nutrition. It's more like, you know, it's like it's it's the same. It just doesn't look great.
1: Yeah. Two things on that that I think would be interesting to talk about or get your opinion on is I read somewhere that first like first apple you touch, put it in your bag don't pick up five different apples or five different oh, avocados. Oh, I do that. And, like, just grab it, put it in your bag, and move on. Like, it's as good as any other apple sitting there on the shelf, and I think that's, like, a would be a good habit to get into. And then the second one is – that my sister lives in San Francisco, so not fair for our rule listeners, but she does imperfectly produce or something I think it's called. Oh, cool. And so it's, like you said, carrots that are misshapen, and she gets a box, and she gets so much vegetables for such a good price. And – um just is able to cook it's a lot of stuff that's in season so she actually has like a chart on her wall that shows what's in season and like different things you can do with it cool yeah and so that she's like a huge
0: advocate for that is that a we should put that in the show is there a website for that
1: there has to be i'm sure what is it called i think it's imperfectly i I could buy
0: that i want to buy that
1: we'll put it in and i'll share it to discover ag
0: yeah, we'll share it to the Discover X stories. We're trying to keep our show notes clean, you guys. Simple. Yeah, yeah, not cluttered for you guys. So we'll share it on the if we find anything about it, we'll share it in the stories. But that's cool. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, I think also I guess we didn't really talk about. Um. I mean, you did you actually did we talk about this about the sustainability portion too? Like how much methane is emitted from food yeah. waste? I said it oh, okay. was the
1: second. Uh, it would be a, if it was a country, it'd be the third. Yeah. Wow, good to know she's paying attention to what I'm saying, you guys.
0: I know, I feel like <laughs> usually you're the one that reads. It is usually me. That's why
1: I was fine saying it.
0: Uh, okay.
1: Third one that you guys need to know about news articles. I find this one super interesting. So, um, I'm excited to share it, but this was on NPR and it is FDA gives safety nod to no kill meat, bringing it closer to sale in the U S. Um, another word for no kill meat is cultivated meat or lab grown meat. I, I feel thought like it was no interesting kill that is they, very I clickbaity. I
0: well, as to say, I didn't, that was the first time I've ever heard it called no kill. I, I felt was, like it was
1: clickbaity it, for sure. It was sure. interesting
0: to me that they chose that. I was like, okay, nice.
1: Yeah. So this is the first company that is getting, like, has made it this far, and it's Upside Foods, a San Francisco. San Francisco-based startup, and they produce meat grown from animal cells without slaughtering the animal. It's basically their like foundation. The guy that founded Upside Foods uh, or one of the co-founders was actually a cardiologist who dreamt of producing meat in a different way. Instead of raising livestock on farms and killing them, he found a way to grow, quote-unquote, I'm doing air quotes, meat in a production facility and yeah, they said there's about 80 i think it said 80 companies behind them like ready to like get their approval too
0: so what is your stance and thought on no kill or cultivated meat
1: I think if you – I think I'm going back to our food choice. I think you should get the choice. But as if you are promoting it as healthier, more sustainable, any of those things, you're wrong. And one of the reasons I go back to that is when we interviewed Dr. Sarah Place. And she talked about the fact like you still have to put nutrients and all the things that you, like an animal would need. And then even more things because it has to be housed in a a factory – to produce these. So it it still takes nutrients, energy, water, you know, all the nutritional components to make it. And we're just not using cattle. And then my other thing is, I feel like a lot of times they say like, oh, well, you just get the steak and you don't get all the unwanted things. There's literally not one piece of cattle that goes to waste. Like we use cattle in everything. So I hate that comment when cultivated meat kind of promotes that. What are your thoughts?
0: So going well. You brought up the nutrition standpoint of it, and I kind of want. I have it, it's a. It's not a tangent, but it's like a parallel thought process I want to bring up. So I was listening to this podcast. It is um, the Natural State with Dr. Anthony Gustin. Mm-hmm. Um, he had on a friend, and they were talking, and he was talking about how. He, they have, um, acquaintance who I think he's from Utah working in some lab there, but he is working on comparing the compounds. So they started off talking about like grass fed versus grain fed essentially. And they were talking about how, like right now the nutrition and we all know that we even covered this in like episode, I think it was like 48 or 49, somewhere around 48, 50, um, about the nutritional is the same. Right. So like we, if you look at like the, you know, um, why am I blanking the, um,
1: nutritional label?
0: Well, no. What are the exact components that everyone looks at all the time?
1: Micronutrients.
0: Okay. Sure. That works. Anyway,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Uh,
0: Um, well maybe fatty acids is what I'm talking about too. Anyway, there's oh amino acids. Right. So there's going to be the same amount, right? Like all the data shows all the science shows that there's the same amount. There's no really difference. But he is diving into like looking them at a molecular level. So like, are the chains longer? Are the chains actually different? Um, and he's looking at like 30,000 plus markers to assess. Like he's almost going like a nuanced layer deeper where everyone's just looking at the numbers and being like, oh, there's no difference. Um You know, it's going to be the same. He's trying to go a level deeper and saying, okay, maybe the numbers are the same, but like, are the actual chains different, like at the molecular level? And so then they kind of brought up that, like, if there is this going to be this difference, because they're like, I mean, these guys are obviously huge into grass fed. So they're in support of this to show that. You know, maybe the numbers of grass-fed to grain-fed are the same, but, like, the structure is going to be different, which would support more grass-fed. But they also brought up about how then, like, these people that are trying to mimic or copy, like, the alternative meat, they could never get down to, like, the 30,000th marker at the molecular level that actually brings in that extra nutritional value. Like, there's no way to replicate that. And I find that so interesting from, like, people trying to replicate beef standpoint.
1: Yeah, I will agree with that. Like I don't think we can ever get down to like the absolute like nitty gritty of it. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I don't know. There's so much that pro- that goes into all of it that we do not currently understand. And so to just say like we're growing meat, it's like I don't know that you know exactly what you're growing. I also like on another side of this that I have an issue with is you know how I feel about when people use the word factory farm. And it's like this is literally a factory. Yeah. like <laughs> That's to- what they – like the wording oh here gosh. is like this. Um, it is a 70,000 square foot factory and you yeah. can tour it and see your food grown. And I'm like, and we have a problem when there's too many
0: cattle I, in one place. Like- I have never thought about like the, the parody. I don't know if parody is the right word of that, but the, that is hilarious to me that this is act- like now you actually have your factory farm.
1: That is a factory farm. Cultivated meat to me is a factory farm. And then another thing that, that got brought up in this article that really, like, rubbed me the wrong way was um, about, like, antibiotic use in cattle. And if yeah. you know anything about cultivating meat, it takes so much, like, um, my gosh, what would it be? Like, sanitizer, you know, mm-hmm. just everything has to be so sterile and perfect. If a single virus, single bacteria gets in there, it will, like, destroy the meat or create, like, massive you know food contamination foodborne illnesses and so i'm like we really think that who thinks this is a better solution like well, on so what that's, planet
0: that's my question i guess like what is the angle I, it's funny so many directions like i have so many thoughts so in my many head directions. About this. <laughs> who um like what's their angle right because yeah. it's not more sustainable um, they're still using animals like they can't if they're driving it from animals they can't I mean I guess they can come from like a no slaughter no harm but I don't know if like you know true vegans vegetarians are going to like appreciate that it still comes from an animal um, yeah. like I just don't get their angle like who are they appealing to you know yeah
1: also to be able to go into the factory you have to suit up with gowns goggles hair nets all like sorts of things I just I don't know. I I don't know. I just, I think of all the things that consumers complain about animal ag and farms and all these things. And I'm like, yeah, who, who is this appealing to exactly? And how is, how is it better?
0: So another, um, point they said in the article and kind of playing off this, like everything like this robotic factory, like right origin of the meat the person who wrote this article said that they toured it and they said, quote, the process had a futuristic vibe, but by the end of the tour, it felt somehow ordinary to me, like kind of hydroponic gardening. And in my mind, I was like, how many, I wonder how many people would have the same feelings about real meat if you could just get them on a farm. You know, I was like, Oh, I feel like we just need to get people on the farms. Like, where by the end of it, they're like, okay, by the end of it, it felt really comfortable and normal. Yeah. And I got to meet the farmer that grows it. And it's not big, bad, scary. Like I was just like, oh, it just highlighted and reminded me the importance of like sharing our story, whether that's online or in person.
1: Yep. Um, something else that I just want to mention is Good Meat. That's a part of Eat Just, ink. I'm not even gonna start on that like name of that company. Um, it served its cultivated chicken at COP27, um, the climate conference. So, thought yes, that I yeah, was that. interesting.
0: The last thing you said, you like got <sighs> a couple different times. You said that it, like really irked you and rubbed you the wrong way. I don't know if I'm like as upset about alternative like alternative meat doesn't really like irk me. I guess I don't know because I do wonder and um. I've been kind of like in my head thinking about trying to find someone that could speak on this in the podcast, but I just wonder, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself because of my thoughts and maybe food waste is the answer to this, but like there has to be a point where animal agriculture can't provide all of the meat that we need, like, you know, the protein that we need. And so it's like, do we need help? Will we need help? Like, what does the help look like? And for me, I would rather get help from someone like this that isn't like, trying to get rid of animal agriculture and end all forms of animal agriculture production. But I don't, I don't know if that's true. Like, I don't know. Maybe meat can supply and animal agriculture isn't like a finite resource, but in my mind I'm like with the growing population, like there has to be a point where we can't, you know, there's only so much land and only so many cows, but I don't know.
1: Um, like yeah, I just I disagree with you on that. I don't think I don't think they're going to like take our share of the market. That's not my concern. I don't like the misinformation that this is like we are healthier. We are more sustainable. We are like um harm free, like the eat just name of the company. You know, I think that's more where it, I get irked. Like I hate the misinformation around it that they're putting out. And yeah, then I, they do want to get rid of animal ag. It says in here that they like this is the solution to end animal ag, but then oh. you still get to eat meat. So oh, I missed that part,
0: but I don't, okay. Do you think all anti, uh, like, I don't, I guess no kill meat. We'll just stick with that name. Um, all no kill meat, meat stands for because I swear there was someone speaking on no kill meat at, a an agriculture convention that was talking about how like they want to work with animal production for another source.
1: I mean maybe there is some companies, but I mean I think overall their marketing stance, how they will market the product uh, from what I'd seen is going to be this will solve your problem if you want to still eat meat but yeah. be sustainable, eat our meat.
0: Yeah. I just yeah, so. I mean I I get irked too when obviously when there's marketing based around fear or falsity. Um but I just wonder like where does you know, what is the other like what is the other food source going to look like for the future that besides like there will be one don't you think no i
1: they've talked about this at some of the conferences we've gone to that like we as people continue to eat more and more meat like as we have more people move into the middle class more people move out of poverty obviously both amazing things people are going to eat more meat and like so this is not we could continue growing at our rates right now Animal, I could continue growing at its rates, but with the way people are going to continue to c- eat more meat, we will need more meat. So yeah, that's why right. I, that's from the very beginning, I was like, I'm not worried about them taking our market share. That's not no. a concern for me. That'll never happen with any of them. No.
0: In my opinion, but.
1: Yeah. In my opinion.
0: So. All right. Well, that's it. Those are your top three industry news pieces you guys needed to know this week. Um, I'm going to wrap this episode up with our Now You Know segment. So if you guys followed along on my personal Instagram, Natalie Kavorik, um, this past weekend, Tad and I were in South Dakota. We were taking in um, a couple different sites there on a little mother-son um, weekend. And one of the monuments we went to was the Crazy Horse Monument, which if you guys do not know, that's going to be the largest um, to-date monument in the world. Um, it's just not finished yet. Um, and so I learned a ton about this, the Crazy Horse Monument when I was there. And it was built by this, it was started by this guy. Let me look at his name because it's like this crazy, um, where is it? Oh, I can't say it. I probably shouldn't have looked at it. Kor- Korjak <laughs> Zalewoski. <laughs> so anyway, it's, there's this long backstory about how he was approached to start this monument. Um, and he never, and still to this date, Crazy Horse Monument has never taken any Um, funding from the government. They are a nonprofit. So they're funded solely through like donations, people visiting, but to get started because this guy single-handedly started it and then he ended up taking on volunteers and then he married one of the volunteers and they had kids together. And to fund the Crazy Horse Monument in the very beginning, because this has been going on for almost 70 years, the building of it, they started a dairy farm. They started a sawmill and a dairy farm. And the money they earned from that is what they put into starting and funding their crazy horse, like sculpting, which I think is, I don't know. So cool. Like a dairy farm had a that role cool. in like one of our, you know, nations. It's such a cool monument too. Um, when I shared about it in stories, so many positive feedback about people who are like, this is, it, it's just a really cool monument. I would recommend visiting if you guys are there. Um, and now you know that it has a little tie to the dairy, dairy industry.
1: I know. I'll have to go up and see it. I will say your stories. I was like, okay, I guess that's, I want to go see all those things. (laughs) Like I didn't know those were on my bucket list and now it's on my bucket list.
0: There's so much in the area of like Rushmore um, and Crazy Horse area in South Dakota right there by Rapid City. It is really cool. It is very overwhelming because there's so much to do. Um, But it is a great family destination. I will say that.
1: Yeah. You've been busy this week. You've been like Mm.
0: all over the place. I am exhausted. I don't know if you guys can tell from my voice, but um, it is kind of starting to go a little bit. So if yeah, I sound maybe weird on this episode, it's it that's it.
1: Yeah, us recording a podcast the Monday after you got back from Vegas may have been a bad idea. <laughs> maybe regretting that decision. <laughs> no, you really don't sound bad. But um yeah, I um that's cool. That's really neat. Mm-hmm. So
0: all right, you guys. Well, that's all we have this week. Thanks for listening to Discover Ag, where once a week we cover the top three industry news pieces and keep our fingers on the pulse so you guys don't have to. And don't
1: forget that once a month we send someone who left us a review or shared our podcast with their social channels a little thank you bag for listening. So if you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to share and tag us, leave us a review, send us to a friend, any of those things. And we will be picking one winner at the end of the month to share that good goodie bag
0: with. And if you want more during the week from us, be sure to follow us on Instagram at discoverag underscore at Natalie Kavork and at Tara Dusen. See you next week.